Guess what day it is? Huh? Anybody? Well, that is right. I am Chris. And I'm Christine, and welcome to episode 65 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do, 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 do. Fantastic. And if you heard that little jingle, it only can mean one thing. And what is that, Christine? That it is countdown to wedding day. Dun, da, da, da. Wedding day is here upon us this week. Amazing. I am so nervous. Are you? Get, I am so, so much anxiety, and I'm nervous. And I'm excited, you know, because there's a lot of pressure figuring this all out, getting the whole wedding thing taken care of. It's been a big stress on our entire lives over the last year or so, especially with COVID. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me more about this anxiety because this is like, I, this is the first time that you've really talked with me about the anxiety of the wedding. But what is it that goes through a guy's head right before the wedding? I think what it is, it's it's like, well, I'm also a little bit of a perfectionist, as we found out a few minutes <laughs> off air before we started. And that's uh, because of my perfectionism, I have to have everything done right and correctly. So if there's any flub or anything, any mishaps, I try to be the one there taking control and you know, getting figured out. And the fact that I'm lo- leaving control up to other people to get this done for our wedding, it's a little stressful, you know? You know, I didn't even think about it like that. That makes a whole lot of sense that your anxiety is peaking around that, like, unpredictability. And I think that's what I've tried to help have other people that I know are also perfectionists be involved to know that they're going to execute things to the level of what we're hoping for. But that makes total sense because, like, I'm just telling you, babe, you and the boys just need to get dressed and show up and have fun. But does that actually help you have fun or does that give you more anxiety? Well, we're having the wedding at a separate location. And then we're having the reception back at our house, which is going to be all decked out with uh, what decorations and tables and chairs and, and, a, and a, uh, people serving food and valet service and all that stuff happening at my house. And I kind of like to have my Your house. house. I'm sorry, our, <laughs> our house. I, I just got my house probably because like, when I bought it, you know, it was yeah. Yes, it was mine. So at our house, everything's going to be happening here, and I'm going to be trying to figure out, or wanting to figure out how to coordinate everything and be handling everything. This goes here, that goes there, this, that. But I'm going to be somewhere else, and I have to leave it up to somebody else to take care of it. That's a little stressful. Honey, repeat with me. What's that? Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Yes. You really do have to because at this point in the game, I mean, I have helped to get everything planned the way you want it to be. You did. You it was amazing. And I want you to have such a beautiful day and I know this is going to be really really hard for you, but you have to release control a little bit. I'll try. I mean, it's hard. It, I know it is. It's, it's hard, especially with such, so many moving components to this wedding. There's like all these different venues, uh, vendors and venues and people coming and not coming and, and all the stuff we got, you know, stuff we have to set up with, uh, buying the alcohol like you did today. <laughs> I did it all. You know, doing all this fun stuff. I just said to you, babe, I need you to get this amount of money from the bank to help us Pay the last little and tidbit. That, that amount was hundred thousand no, dollars in cash. You goofball. And I went to the bank. I said, I "Want a briefcase too?" <laughs> it's like uh, handcuffed to my wrist. So when I walk out of there, I'm like a baller. I got my metal suitcase full of my hundred dollar bills. 
Well, okay. So I need to ask you a very important question. Your anxiety and everything, does it have to do anything with actually marrying me? Um, I don't think so. I think more of the whole process, but I do love you and I do get very excited to marry you. And I was thinking about this today Aww. about how, how Christine was out today figuring out all the details, the last minute details of the wedding, yeah. figuring, putting it all together. And, um, I was looking at her and she's telling me all this stuff and I'm thinking, wow, this girl over here is so excited about marrying me. Aww. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with her? <laughs> <laughs> like why why does she want to marry me Aww. of all people and i'm th- i think she's super excited to marry me and thank you for that babe but it, it, i'm looking at it from my perspective is like why why would you want to marry me of all the people in the world you could possibly be marrying you want to marry me and i and i kind of feel very humble and very thankful that you want to marry me it's it's you know you're making me cry right now uh, why why well first of all because i want you to see yourself through my eyes when you think like why would she want to marry me? The way I look at it is like, you're my hero. You're my superhero. Oh. You're the king of this castle. And I look up to you in so many ways. And I look to you for support. And you're my best friend. And there is nobody else I would want to marry. You're my person. And I just get so excited about having a future with you. And so it just makes me sad when you say like, why would she want to marry me? I, I'm very humbled that you think of me like that, <laughs> that you put me on a pedestal. But well, I, I do, I do. But I look at you and I think like you've given me so much love and you've helped me to really kind of be more comfortable in my own skin and helped me to explore my own talents. And you've supported me my whole journey with my schooling and you've taken Ezekiel in and you just love him and you guys have such a special relationship. And I get so excited about marrying you. And I don't, I guess I don't think like, oh, like, what does he see in me? I was, I look at it as like, I found my person, like my perfect match and like I feel like we were two whole people before this and we're just a dynamic duo and I really am super excited to marry you and I'm excited to marry you too babe and I was also thinking is that being that we are in the midst of COVID and that you have been structured to do your work from home right like you're home now all the time and I get to see you so much more yeah I think you get sick of me that's the thing. I have I have not. Aww. And that is definitely truth because I am going to be marrying you. And and I think that had COVID not happened, it's almost like a test, really. Yeah. You know, like, can we can we weather COVID being together as much as we have been? Yeah. And if we could not, then I don't think marriage would be the right decision. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Right. It's almost like a little test phase. Like, because I think a lot of people right now, unfortunately, because they are stuck together. Right. Things are going south. Right. Um, And ours just went the opposite. Right. Ours went, we got closer together. You are my best, best friend. Oh. I share everything with you. You know, I wake up every morning and I run downstairs and I get coffee going and I get so excited and I text you. <laughs> from downstairs, I text you to upstairs and I say, hey, you want some coffee? Because it's our little coffee date time. And it I is. Get- and you know what? I do try to build in a 20-minute break or a 30-minute break to my mornings for work. Um, you know, we, everybody's entitled to like a 15 to 20-minute break from work. And so I love to come down and have a cup of coffee with you in the morning. And I try to build that into my calendar at least like three or four days a week because it's so important and it's become a routine. And, you know, I was thinking about this. My parents do that and they have done that since I was little. Like, really? Yes, they have. And now they sit in the living room and they have coffee together. But I don't know if I've actually ever told you this, but 
growing up, my dad always woke up really early. And uh, when I was really young, he went to this restaurant. It was called the Dollar Horse. Dollar is like Dollar what now? Dollar Horse. I grew up in a Swedish town, and the Dollar Horse is like um, it's a horse, but it's a symbol of good energy, hope, and joy in the Swedish culture. And so this little cafe my dad would go to every morning and my mom would get up early. She'd get me ready because my sisters could get themselves to school. And she'd take me down and we would have coffee with my dad. They would start their morning off together. And then that continued all the way, you know, when whenever my mom could, possibly like two or three days a week. And sometimes it was very early before her shift at the hospital and they would have coffee together. And sometimes they'd take me, sometimes they wouldn't. And they still have continued that. And so when we have our time together, it reminds me of such a fond memory of my childhood, of my parents starting their morning together and connecting with each other and having conversation and small talk. And they're each other's best friends. And it, I'd always looked at that as something that I'd hoped for. And then it just naturally happened with us through COVID. And it's been such a beautiful gift for me. I know. It's one good thing of COVID is having you here. And I really, really do love having you here. Oh, thank you. It baby. has allowed us to podcast a lot more than we have ever had before. <laughs> that's that's the hidden thing is he really wanted to podcast as much as possible. <laughs> that's that's true. We, you know, and we do a lot of interviews on our show. And thank God, because you were um, being home more often, we were able to pull this off. Right. And on my lunch breaks. On your lunch breaks from work. And because you're already here at the house. Right. I just walk across the hall. <laughs> right. Easy over to the studio. And, yeah. and we get it all done. So that's been great. And, and I do appreciate you having you here every day. And it's just been so amazing. Just ha- just having you around so much. It's put so much joy. And I, that's why I hate going to work <laughs> beca- and leaving you. Not, not that I hate my job. I just I hate leaving to go to work and, and leaving you here at the house and realizing, gosh, I, w- I want to stay here. And that's probably why I really do enjoy Vacation Chris the best. <laughs> I enjoy Vacation Chris the best too. Because I'm home with you and, it, and it's home and the kids are here now and everything's great and and it's not raining this week for the right. wedding so that's fantastic also well what are you most looking forward to in our life together i think what i'm most looking forward to with our lives together is the fact that it is definitely a team and it's a teamwork we're going to be bonding our forces so mm-hmm. to speak and that um every i don't feel so stressed out as i used to doing things all by myself yeah it's a partnership that i never had before and I think that uh, it's very exciting times, you know, and it's very, I love it. I'm so glad. That just makes me so happy. And, you know, it has taken us a lot to get to this point in terms of our journey. And I know you and I have had to overcome some really hard things in our past. And we had to individually deal with those hurts and process through them and learn how to be single parents and learn how to support ourselves and be independent and, you know, all of the things that come along with getting back up after going through a divorce. And we actually had the opportunity to talk about that, right? Yes, we were exclusively interviewed by the... 10 Steps Further podcast, right? Who was the pastor? Pastor Jack Hawkins. Jack and... And Jonathan. And Jonathan. Jack and Jonathan. Now, Pastor Jack happens to be the pastor that's going to be marrying us for our wedding. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about it on our interview with him about how we met. But I will totally tell you, we def- we typically don't talk about two things, faith and politics. Well, we broke that rule last week, and we apologize if we offended anybody for that um, about politics. But in terms of faith, we um, very much have a strong faith, Chris and I do. And we were really struggling to find an officiant for our wedding 
And we'd gone through multiple people and some weren't available, some um, were already booked and some were just way out of our price range because I didn't realize that officiants actually charge down in San I Diego. Did, I didn't even know that either. I thought it was like a free service, like yeah, a, a but, thing. But. but it's not. And so, you know, we were just trying to figure it out and had gone through a whole list and I just decided to look one more time. I said a prayer and I looked one more time and instead of emailing, I picked up the phone and called this um, individual and he happened to be such a kind person and actually a pastor in a local church and a pastor in the denomination that I grew up in. Right. So it made him so much more, more comfortable for you to make the decision to have him uh, marry us off. Right. And so we had the opportunity. Um, it was a couple months ago, right, Chris? Yeah, it was probably during the summer, I think, wasn't it? I think so. Um, maybe it was right after, shortly after we made the decision to cancel our Hawaii wedding, which would have been in August. And we had the opportunity to sit down with Pastor Jack and Pastor Jonathan over at Canyon Springs Church. And we had we got the chance to really share in depth our story of what we went through and then what it's like to now be in love, right? That's right. And they were very gracious enough to let us have that audio from that interview. And what are we going to do with that, Christine? Well, we made the decision to not have a guest on during wedding week. And instead, what Chris and I wanted to do for the first time on our show is to really share our journey in depth And we're really hopeful that our struggles and our finding love after loss and after divorce will be an encouragement to you all out there. And so for this episode, which is our special wedding week episode, we want to share with you our journey of how we got back up. Hey there, K2 crew. We love having you as our loyal listeners. To keep up to date with what's happening behind the scenes, check us out on social media. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to follow our Facebook page. Yeah, tag us in your favorite fun stories. And guess what? You might just end up on the show. Jack and I are here with a couple of guests. From another podcast in another place. I know. <laughs> I guess that that love their podcast so much that he was willing to change his name for the podcast. <laughs> to say that. That's, that's an inside secret. <laughs> it's all fake. It's all. Uh, <laughs> we I we actually had this conversation last week. So in this COVID season. Uh, I do a lot, a bunch, bunch of weddings, right? Um, typically, and all those weddings are canceling. And I have these people <laughs> who are calling me, hey, you want to meet me on the beach? Can we meet here and there? Whatever. And so I got a phone call from Christine just last week mm-hmm. because Christine is marrying Chris. Yep. Not Chris with a C. Maybe that was last year. Chris with a K <laughs> now so that the podcast matches. Um, and so we got in this conversation about kind of what your lives have been through and your mm-hmm. podcast and what that all looks like. And, and I think we have some good wisdom to give people in their lives and a kind of interesting story. So why don't you just give us a little background on yourselves, guys? Um, so I'm Christine and I've lived down here in San Diego County for about five years. So I work in education, um, up until November 20th, I guess, technically when we get married, I've been a single mom for the last five years of a now 15 year old. And, uh, like I mentioned to you earlier, Jack, I am finishing up my doctorate in May. So I'm very excited. Go Trojans, USC. <laughs> She's rubbing it in right now because my son went to UCLA, but, uh, we may, we may bring that up a little bit later. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. And Chris. Hey, what's happening, everybody? I am Chris with a K <laughs> of, of the world famous Chris and Christine show. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I uh, I've lived in San Diego my entire life, all 100 years of it. And um, never left town, and I don't plan on leaving town, so uh, that's just me. But I met Christine, what, uh, two years ago? Yeah, just just two years and change. Yeah, two years ago, and um, we met on a little website called uh, Match.com. Perhaps you've heard of it. And uh, she hit me up, so by what the way. I, well, generally what I say about couples when they meet like this is from the beginning, you were the perfect match. At oh, least according true. to Match.com. That's so, true. <laughs> so that was you guys. You met on Match.com. Yeah, you told the whole – gave us a story beforehand. Uh, essentially, you were you were doing the discount dating. As long as Match gave you a little deal, you would continue to follow that. Is that right, Chris? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because the way the Match works is that you pay for like a block of time of right. use, like a – I don't know, like a subscription. So when your subscription runs out, you make sure you cancel that. Otherwise, they jack up the rates, like triple the you know the amount you were paying earlier because they give you a discount rate to get you started, like a little teaser. So <laughs> get you in, and I would try to cancel it. And then when I go cancel it, they would say, hey, hang on a second. Why don't you try a little bit longer for, say, I don't know, 20%. Okay. So I keep it going. He loves and a deal. I love a deal. I love <laughs> yeah, a deal. Who yeah. doesn't? So it's for it's for those people who think, I mean, I really want a soulmate, but I just don't want to spend that much money on it. <laughs> right. Oh, and, so. well, spend something. I, mean, I advise everybody: do not use the free uh, dating apps out there because who knows what you're going to get, you know. Right. But anyway, we paid for the service, so we're actually paying customers, even though it was discount. It was paying customers. Oh, so, anyways, so I hit. Uh, she hit me up. To uh, this is he. Every time he tells his story, he makes sure that everyone knows that he did not make the first move. (laughs) Of course, (laughs) but the reality is that he had checked out your profile like how many times? Four times. Okay, so so it comes up in the feed. There's like a feed they give you. You have to click click into it. Come on, give me something. You you Uh, had to have a little bit of interest. Okay, okay. So she hit me up with a message (laughs) first. What did you say in that first message? Do you remember? Um, I can't remember. Just something. Something simple like, hey, how's it going? I see that we are both single parents and have some common interests. Maybe we should chat. You know, just something basic like that. Hey, how you doing? That's, what that's guys so funny because Chris just said that it was you said what a nice butt he had. That's what I remember. I don't know how she could have seen that because I didn't have any pictures like that. <laughs> they no. don't do backsides? No. Okay. No. All right. That probably, <laughs> that probably makes a lot of you sense. You can get the backside on the free apps. I, <laughs> yes. Yes, I will do. say I was a very impressed that he did not have the atypical or the typical shirtless selfie picture because I would have just <laughs> gone right by well, that. I gave you that one later. <laughs> yet, a, yet again, yet again, he is shirtless in the, in the, as we are doing the podcast right now. So, so, um, we in coming up in November, what's the date? 20th. November 20th. That we're going to make this whole thing official, yep. but there's a lot of backstory that yeah, has come. Definitely. In fact, that's really the basis for your podcast. Too, yeah, right? this is a this is a second marriage for both of you, and both were taken down by unfaithfulness. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. Yes, yes, that's true. Uh, Christine was actually married longer than I was. Um, you got married really, really young. Well, I mean, kind of young. So Chris and I were very open about all of our background and all of the struggles, but. I met my former spouse. He was my first boyfriend. We met, I was in the Christian sorority and he was in the Christian fraternity at our university. And um, 
a year later, we started dating. We dated for three years and we were leaders in our college group at church. And then he proposed. We were engaged for six months and got married. We were married by the time of divorce, um, just almost 11 years. We'd been separated for a year prior, uh, served in ministry, served in the church. He was a deacon of the church and in a pretty large church where we lived in Central California. I was in frontline worship team and the like on the outside and even to my belief, we were that picture perfect American family. Right. I mean, we had right. the dog. We literally had the white picket fence. We only had one child. We vacationed. We did like everything that people dream about being able to do. And then one day we were celebrating my birthday um, down at Disneyland. We were on a family trip. And everything fell apart while I was four and a half hours away from home and he was in the shower and I stumbled across a text message that just imploded my world. And over the course of the next two and a half months, um, progressively more and more information came out. But bottom line is uh, my former spouse had been unfaithful through um, a deep-seated pornography addiction as well as virtual and in-person affairs with seven different women that I was able to identify. Um, But then as everything became like came to light, I found out that the infidelity had started one week into our relationship. And so it just makes you look back and doubt if everything was a lie all the way along because there was all of this betrayal behind the scenes. And so I had to grapple with that. We worked for the same employer. It was a very public breakup. And so everybody was in our business from day one in the church. When you're frontline leaders, it's like when you sure. you watch the news and you hear of mm. XYZ pastor. I mean, when somebody's leading a very prominent ministry in the church and you're typically on the stage and then people see you down at the altar kind of falling apart everybody gets in your business. So especially a small town like that, right? Wouldn't well, you? I mean, I was I was up in a bigger town in Central California, not as big as San Diego, but um it was the only school district that we worked for. Everybody knew us. They knew us right. as a power sure. couple. Yeah. So um yep. so I didn't make the decision to divorce. We made the decision to separate and work on the relationship and went into intense therapy. Um unfortunately, my previous spouse couldn't uh, break away from the addiction and from the other women. And finally, at one point, I really felt like God released me from the relationship, but I had to wait on him. Like I didn't rush into that and lots of prayer went into it and lots of wise counsel. But finally, at some point, I felt that the Lord was saying, this is not how I intended for you to live. And I, I give you permission. And I didn't I never knew that the voice of God would be like that. Like, I mean, in the Bible, it says divorce is a sin or, you know, it says you shouldn't get divorced and be separated. And so I just felt like very confused and not knowing exactly who I was. Strange times for you. Right. Very. Well, I would imagine that not only is it, hey, is this relationship been real all the time? But the amount of self-doubt too, right? Absolutely. Like, like, what is it in me that's not enough that you have to seek out? seven different women and that you have to seek out this digital means to get your fulfillment. And, um, you know, there was other things that were happening behind the scenes that I wasn't sharing with people at the time that 
Chris is aware of, there was some domestic violence involved in our relationship and, and, um, some physical injuries that I was enduring. And I just didn't, I didn't know that that wasn't normal. You know, I, we didn't in the church, you talk about, um, you know, being very transparent of sex before marriage and you go through premarital counseling and it's not always the most open. And I didn't know the way that things should and shouldn't be. So I didn't know that things that were happening to me weren't okay. Right. And so when everything comes to light and you finally are processing through all of that, it was dealing with being victimized, being traumatized, being betrayed. And then on top of it, he had, um, taken my, my credit and ran it up. And so I was left with about $57,000 worth of debt that I had to manage. Oh my gosh. Okay. Now just to give you guys an idea where we're going, uh, this is podcast is going to be called getting back up. Right. Right. But there's a, there's a down bottom to that. Right. And you definitely hit the bottom. Now, Jonathan, I was thinking as she was sharing, um, how often our perception of God is, He's gonna, you know, he's gonna be disappointed with me. He's gonna, you know, uh, w- uh, where do you think that comes from? Yeah, I right? think a lot. Well, I think a lot of it is like you're saying, cultural. Like I, I think that we're we're in this place that we have we have painted Christianity to be a version of clean that it isn't. Um, and so when when I mean I don't know I I feel like that's where secrets live because right. people are like. I'm probably the only person who struggles with anything in this whole church. Right. Know, cause, oh, yeah. Because nobody yeah. ever puts it forward, you know? And then every right. once in a while somebody does and they're like, well, that guy's worse than me, man. I'm right. not, I'm right. not going right. to, and, and, and people are talking about him now. And so I'm not, you know, so, so I think that there's a lot of that that goes on that, that, um, like you said in premarital counseling, it's not always the most open. Like that's the whole state of, marriage in churches, I think, right. is like, there's just this constant, um, there, there's two sides of it. There's the, there's the public side and there's the private side, right. uh, in every home. So, right. And right. nobody's perfect. We're all sinners. Right. Well, there's just right. so, so much that it encouragement to hide as much as possible, but really growth, authenticity leads to wholeness right. for us to be there. Now, Chris, you experienced a a different situation, but in some ways similar as well, right? Uh, you want to yeah. take us back to that story? Yeah, I got married back in 2008, and uh, we had a child two years after that, our first child, okay, uh, Jacob. And um, she was a lot younger than me, so I, and I thought at the time when I got together with my ex-wife that Maybe she was kind of like over the younger type of stuff, you know, like the partying, the going out, the one. She seemed like she seemed a little more mature for her age. So I kind of took that perspective thing. Like, I don't know. She's kind of young, but okay. She was uh, like eight years younger than me, I think. Okay. Or something like that. So, but anyways, we had our first child and then um, she went back to work and I was working full time at night because I work at night and then I would um, take care of the child during the day. And then work at night. And then as soon as I got a better job, she's like, every time I had a job, I got a new job, she wanted to have a kid, which is weird. <laughs> she just wanted to have a kid. It's the second I got a pay raise, she wanted a kid. I don't know if that's something to that or what's up with that. <laughs> yeah. But um, so we did. We had our we had our second child. We celebrated by going out to dinner. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, that's that's part. That's how it's at least. That's, that's the start. And you think so? Next think so? Maybe it started with dinner. Okay. We don't want to, can we not talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> so, so we, every time we exit, every time we had, I had a pay raise. She wanted a new child, which I thought was kind of odd. Cause I I loved having the single child, and I kind of honestly just wanted the single child. But she wanted a second child, so we had a second child. And then after the second child was born, everything started falling apart. Like she was gone a lot. She was spending the night at someone else's house, like a friend of hers house a lot. She was uh, – the second I'd wake up in the morning, she would take off and go into the gym or take off and go into there. I'm taking off and dump me with the kids at an early age and I would have to take care of them you know, all by myself, You know, plus I have to work all night long. And then have my mom come in and help out, you know, when I had to go to work or whatever. And she was always gone. Say she was at work. And then she had a friend from work staying in our guest room for a little bit because she had a place to stay or whatever. So she was staying with us for a little while. And then she's the one that really broke the news to me what was going on with my ex-wife. Kind of because they all work together and they're in the same circle group and things like that. And she they were telling she told me, you know, people she owes with and people she was hanging out with and how now she's dating this new guy, and I'm like, what? We're married. Dating what? What are you talking about? So let me ask you, what does that feel like in that one moment where you realize that this person has stepped out on you? It To me, I was so angry. I was so upset. I was spinning. I had to call my boss at work and tell him, I can't come in. I cannot do my job because I am emotionally a wreck. And I am devastated and I need to take as much time off as you're going to let me have. And that's what I did. I think I took like two weeks off or whatever. Went to therapy and all that stuff. And um, going had to go through a little divorce thing. Had to go through all that stuff. The first thing I want to do is I just want to just, you know, just just anger. I just wanted to get back at them as much as I possibly can. That's sure. me per- personally. Right. I'm very quick. Yeah. I'm a very hot-headed guy. And I get really <laughs> quick, quick to, uh, you know, Christy will tell me. <laughs> <laughs> laughing over there. So, uh, but I, but I get very angry and very quick, but then I kind of like it fizzles out. I get like explode and I kind of, so I got very angry at first with my ex-wife. And, um, the first thing I wanted to do was just divorce. I wanted to, I wanted to see what my rights were. I wanted to see about, uh, get a lawyer, talk to them, talk to different people. Cause I was watching the kids and had the kids all the time. And, 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 and I even sent out a really nasty, like, message or text out to all her family members you know um i mean i, I mean her too of course i was it just it was very very devastating because i had to take care of these kids all by myself you know i feel like she just took off you know right and how old were they chris oh they were very little like my oldest was i think four i think and my youngest was like not even one hmm. you know yeah i get it right um that anger, that feel. I mean, I, I've, I've never experienced that, but I can see how what you thought was true and then all of a sudden it comes crashing down and all of a sudden you have the truth. It's like um, a, it's an emotion that you don't even have words for. It's like anger and devastation and the betrayal and the loss of a dream and like this eroded hope. I mean, I remember we each have our different low points, but... I remember having my breaking point. I After I found out it was on a Sunday, I went into work the next day and I had to let my my staff know because I was the principal of a school. You can't wow. just not show up right. when you're the principal right. and you're going into state testing. Like hmm. you have to be there. And so I hadn't eaten all week. I remember I didn't eat. I was barely sleeping. He was out of the house right then. 
But by Friday, I hit my breaking point. And then on that Friday night, my mom and my dad had stayed with me all day. And, um, you know, my mom took me to Target to get a few basics and I fainted in the store. Wow. Luckily, she's a medical professional and she like took me to get food. But that night, some more information um, sprung up suddenly on his tablet that was still at the house. And I remember leaving the house barefoot and just telling my mom, she picked me up in the car and I just said, drive out in the country. And I remember being on my my knees with bare feet in the middle of a field because I lived out in the edge of this town where I lived and literally crying with a a cry and a, a groan that I'd never heard come out of myself before because the devastation was that deep. Right. And people don't frequently talk about that and the trauma that happens. Like you hear so much on the media, so-and-so got cheated on and you hear about that happening with celebrities. But what people don't see is that depths of despair. I mean, like Chris's example, he's exhausted working full time at night, trying to provide for his family and his two kids and is now left to figure out what to do with a four-year-old and a one-year-old and all because he helped to create the life that his partner dreamt of. And it's, it's just. When I hear that story, it reminds me of, you know, when God talks about his relationship with his people, like throughout the Old Testament, he's talking about the unfaithful, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word that he uses is he's a jealous God, mm-hmm. right? So if anybody gets it, it's God gets it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm finding too that as I get older, that what God wants most for me is I grow in my relationship with God when I can experience things like God has experienced, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, when you love somebody and they don't love you back, or you love somebody and you get hurt by that. But you both have experienced this, I love somebody who was unfaithful to me. Right. That's the entire experience of God uh, with the nation of Israel and with us as well, It's just as people, right? Right. Because even, you know, I know Jonathan's a pretty good guy, but um, you <laughs> and I, you know, we're pastors of churches that do our own things as well, right? What do you mean? Like, like there are times when we disappoint God, or when we oh man, right yeah, all the time. I mean, that's that's the yeah, that's the that's the journey. Whether it's, I mean, that's I I think, and that's that's the the myth is that the people with the perfect marriage have a perfect marriage. Like I, I, maybe I've met people like that but i've they've never never for real like like the more i get to know people now that's not to say there's not depths like you're talking about that's that's something different but the but recognizing it's just like you know um recognizing in in our world it's just like i i think there's a lot of people who from the outside would say one thing and from the inside like and 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 i feel like i have a great marriage Great. I've been married for uh, 22 and a half years. Wow. And, Congratulations, uh, by the way. That's yeah. And, 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 and I would say we have a great marriage, but it's like there's there's rough seasons and there's right. there's like, you know, and you got three kids that are teenagers. And and uh, and so you just like in some ways I can look at the, the failings and then in other and other times I can look at like, oh, here's the successes. Right. That's the journey of 22 and a half years. Sure. And uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of people who don't experience the 22 years of faithful being together. Right. 
22 and a half years of faithful and being together doesn't mean that everything's easy. No. But you're you're right. And I shared with this before we started. According to the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, national surveys indicate that 15% of married women and 25% of married men have had extramarital affairs. And that goes up 20% when you include emotional and sexual relationships without intercourse. The amount of people cheating. And here's the story, right? Like you'll, you'll see movies and you'll see <laughs> TV shows and it'll, it'll, it'll portray it as one thing. And yet I don't think there's anybody that has walked through that hasn't felt that devastation. Right. And what people see is the, you know, a marriage is broken up and then what tends to happen for an individual is they'll kind of fall off the grid for a little bit, you know, and, I think of when an individual loses a family member, there's a grieving process and people surround them right. and they bring them meals and they want to provide for them. It's different when you go through something like infidelity because people don't know how to respond. Right. It's almost sometimes like they feel like it's contagious and like, contagious? I don't, what like, do you mean? like, I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to give you space until you work through so it. So let me, let me ask you a question. So if you have, if we have, people are listening, have a friend who's wandered through that. What would you say? Here are the three things or four things that you can do for that person to support them in that moment. I would say that the most important thing for me in that moment was to have somebody that was willing to come and sit with me. This is a woman's perspective. So okay. to sit with me and to not try and fix anything or to make me feel better, really sitting with empathy, like listening to your story and letting you talk through it as much as you need to. Uh, I remember one one time it was, you know, a couple months in right after I'd, I had filed for divorce because I was the one who finally had to make that decision. I was having a really low night and I just texted my sister at this point. My son and I had moved in with my mom because we lost the house and everything. Right. And my sister came across the street and she just laid on the bed in the dark with me while I had my sad music playing in the background. And the first thing she comes in is, why are you listening to that sad music? And I said, don't judge my grief right now. And she just crawled in bed next to me and just wrapped her arms around me and let me cry. And I think that, being able to sit in someone else's sorrow without having right. to um, make it feel comfortable for you is – it's a real skill. They're not trying to fix you. They're not trying to tell you everything's going to be good. Right. They're just there, right? Right. That or because I had a child, having somebody say, can I come and pick up oh, your right. son yep. for a couple of hours so you can shower? Because, right. you know, kids – you have to – you have to hold things together to a certain amount when you have a child because their world has just imploded. No long, They no longer have one of their parents in the house. You're trying to redefine this and figuring out how to juggle. So something as simple as, can I pick up your, your son or your daughter and just take them for a happy meal and give you a little bit to yeah. get your nails done? Because you no longer have a partner in this. Right. So you've lost your right. security. You've lost right. a partner. And I know that's something that Chris and I talked about is – he was suddenly faced with single parenting, two young boys. Right. One who was barely eating solid foods, you know. It's, right. Diapers, that is exhausting. You know? Yeah. So uh, how would you answer that, Chris, with a K? 
Oh, uh, well, I'll answer as Chris with a C right now. Okay. So what Chris, what Chris with a C would say, he would say that uh, – but no, I think I think for a guy's perspective, you always want to try to just fix it and move on to the next thing. I mean that's, that's right. me personally. I just want to just fix it, fix the problem and just be on to the next, next part, uh, section of life. And I think it's kind of for me, I took a lot of time off to really kind of reflect on what the next moves mm. are going to be because everything had to be right. strategically done with a divorce, with a child you know, situation, with the child, children, who's going to watch them when, this and that, um, figuring out the money situation, um, splitting everything down the line. Um, you know, there, there was a lot going into to figuring out to, to just split it apart, you know, and I knew that was what was going to happen. I didn't want to, want to, you know, do, do a divorce. I wanted her. To stay around and, and, and even work it out. And like Christine did, went through counseling. I was willing to do that, but she wanted nothing to do with that. She, yeah. she was, she was checked out. She was done. Yeah. I spoke with a counselor who deals with these situations and he says 99% of the time when you're in counseling, somebody says, yeah, I just don't want to do it. They've already moved on from you. Right. They've moved on to that next person. Right. And that's what, that's what happened in my situation yeah. is that the person she, she left me for was another a coworker of hers and they, and she had a child with him. Oh my. Um, very shortly after. Yeah, very shortly after. And then and they moved in together. They're not together now. But um, but she has a child with him and all this stuff. And, and um, So you had to – in some ways, you had to allow yourself the time to grieve that loss, right? Oh, and yeah. It's not really a guy thing. You want to oh, yeah. fix it. You want to move on. You want to right. buy a lifted truck, whatever, <laughs> right? I have, I have that too. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, I was saying was that it was, it was hard because I think right before like she even came back to me after we – it was even funny. Even after we signed the divorce papers, even after everything was said and done, maybe a week after that, she even mentioned like maybe we, this was a bad idea and maybe we should seriously consider like – Wow. Working on it or whatever. And I gave her the benefit of the doubt for like a day. And then the very next day, it was back to, I hate you and I'm going this way and you're going that way. Wow. Um, let, let me ask you guys. Sure. When was the moment? What 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 was the turnaround moment? When was the God moment when he he you realized he was there and you're going to be okay? So mine was a very distinctive moment. I'd uh, reconnected with my best friend from high school who lived in Ventura County, who had just gone through, he was a, a guy, had just gone through a similar thing. And I said, I could really use a good friend that's gone through this. Can we meet for lunch? So I was driving out to Ventura from Central California. And it was the long stretch after Magic Mountain out towards um, Ventura County coastline. And the day before in my church, one of my friends had been singing the offertory song and it was by a Christian artist named Blanca and I loved it. So I downloaded that album and I was listening to it streaming in on my radio. And as I was driving, the Blanca songs were coming on and I was just praying like, God, this is so hard. This is exhausting. I'm in therapy four or five times a week between the couple stuff and the individual stuff. And God had given me a word before, pause, persist, and pray. Like, don't do anything until I tell you. And this song by Blanca came on, and it was called Today. And it says, um, like, some, some of the lyrics of the word or of the song say, you've got today um, to live and to live again. And there was these very hopeful words around, you're going to be okay. Like, you can move forward. And it was God spoke to me in that moment. And I pulled to the side of the road and I broke down crying and I called my mom and I said, I can let go of this now. 
I'm going to need some help to get through this. And my parents helped me with an attorney and like figuring out an attorney. But in that moment, I felt like God said, I release you and I'm going to tell you I'm going to provide for you. And what's before you is better than what you've left behind. And so I just had that hope. And that word of what comes before you is so much greater than what's behind you has been the thing that's guided me every step of the way since then. Wow. So it's interesting. We'll have this conversation with so many different people that there was a moment when God literally showed up, right? Right. right. And it's undeniable. And you say that to people that are outside the church and go, that you guys are just making that stuff mm-hmm. up. And yeah, I I haven't met any Christian person that hasn't experienced that. Right. Right? Yeah. Chris, was there a moment for you where you it was just a God moment and you just knew that or or a time when you felt like you turned the corner? I think I think uh well, I went through a lot of phases, I think, after the divorce because when I got divorced, our company just changed names, just changed companies. So it got bought out by another company. So a lot of people, including myself, because of the divorce, had to uh, cash out their 401k, cash everything out and split it down the middle to give the ex-wife. We're splitting okay. everything in the middle. Wow. So I, so I cashed. I did something kind of stupid. I cashed everything out and went shopping. It's kind of a grieving <laughs> moment for me. Right. I bought some things I've always wanted, like some motorcycles, quads, ATVs, you know, this and that, whatever. Started buying some stuff. Started going to the desert with my dad a lot, doing doing stuff like that. And hang this out. This feels kids like more. a divorce slash midlife crisis. It was. I think. Okay. I, I think it was. I went to Vegas, you know, stuff like that. But um, so I did that kind of stuff, and then I started turning it around. Like, I think for me, because with my ex-wife, when we were married. She was. Um, how do I say? Not the not the brightest uh, financial person in the world. And I thought she was because she worked at a bank. You know, <laughs> when I met her, you know, I thought that yeah. was like, oh, she works at a bank. She must know how to handle finances. So when I did give her the finances at one point in our marriage, because I was very stressed out by everything, had to take a job that paid less than half what I was making before because the economy crashed at '09 and all that. Um, I was very stressed out. I, was, I can't handle this. You, you know, can you help? Can you help figure this out? And she'll just give it all to me. I'll take care of it. And what I did not know is that her taking care of it meant like <laughs> I'll just do whatever I want to do and whatever and I won't take care of it. So um, so I had a lot of debt and a lot of a lot of debt after we got divorced to take care of. Once I cleaned that stuff up, I started really focusing on turning around for myself because since I've been since we were married, I have done a lot of a lot of stuff. Right. Since since uh, since divorce, I got my credit turned around. I paid off all my debts. I paid off my my brand new truck. I paid that thing off in cash. I um, bought my first house, you know, all by myself. Yeah, here in San Diego, you know, um, that's a huge deal. Like after, <laughs> sure. After and he put divorce. that on his match profile, by the of way. Of course, I did. <laughs> because because it's like people can't do can't can't do that kind of stuff when they're married, let alone be by themselves. You know, taking care of two kids. So I was like, "Well, do all stuff by myself." Was and there any moment though, Chris, in that where you were just like, "I'm going to be okay." I think once things started lining up, probably like the credit started turning around, the the paying stuff off. I think financially, because like like once I kind of like took because I had her taking care of that stuff and she kind of ran it all to the ground. So once I kind of took that control back of figuring out, okay, this is, this is what it looks like. Here's our budget. Here's the money coming in, money going out. I, well, I can I can totally pay that off because when I was married before, she would have saw that as we have extra money. Let's blow it on something we don't need or whatever. Let me ask you guys. Um, so the power in the story is you've wandered through that. You've gone through the desert right. and then God has redeemed that. 
What would you say to somebody who's listening right now and, and maybe they've walked through an experience similar or maybe they're just struggling with their kids or they're, they lost their job? Or what, what is the message that you would give somebody who is walking out? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the getting knocked down, but not much about the how we got back up part of it. And right. for me, um, God had to get me by myself and this is where I'm going to cry. I, I had to move away from everything. God opened a door for me for a job down here in San Diego. And just a couple weeks before I was supposed to leave after I'd resigned and they'd backfilled my job. Um, my former spouse took action to not allow me to move my son with me who was supposed to come with me. And so I knew God was calling me here. He'd opened incredible doors for me. And then I was hopeful that I was going to get this fresh start with my son. But then it was, and now he doesn't get to come either. And I didn't have family down here. I didn't have any friends. I was going to be completely alone. And I had to walk that out. And God needed to get me alone for me to be able to heal. Because I think what happens, and Chris and I have talked about this a lot, is that when individuals go through infidelity, if they haven't grappled with being okay with being alone and healing, they'll jump into something else. And those same hurts, habits, and hangups will follow them into that next relationship. And that's part of why the stats for second marriages are that 67% of them fail. It's because people don't get to the point where they can be okay with being satisfied with their relationship with God sustaining them instead of looking to somebody else in flesh and blood. Because if we if we look at that, that person's always going to disappoint us, but God's not. And so for me, I had to step it out. Um, I started dating a little bit and God had to tell me again, no, you're not ready. And so I, right before I met Chris, what we didn't share is I did a dating fast for five months. I didn't a dating ha- what? A fast, like a dating hiatus completely. Why is it like dating fast? Like fast dating to people? <laughs> no. Yeah, that was Chris's response. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to get, get them in quick because yeah. the date is going to run out. <laughs> but I, I went like completely – one of my girlfriends and I that – she was in my Bible study that I'd started. I got connected with a church group down here and I started leading a small group. And then I was in this pattern of dating the wrong guys down here and God told me like – I don't give you permission to date right now. And so I had to be obedient and not date for five months. And then, you know, after I went home to visit my mom, it was in May of 2018. She said, you know, you, you've changed a lot. Um, have you considered starting to date again? And I said, well, you know, when God gives me permission, I will. And that Sunday at church, there was this sermon that was just affirming to me. And I was like, now I feel like I can walk into this as a whole person and a more healed, not completely healed person that I can be my true self in a relationship. And two weeks later, not that this happens for everyone, but two weeks later was when Chris and I connected and a man willing to be involved in your life and change the spelling of his name <laughs> for you. I know. Wow. Mostly for the podcast though. But wow. Yeah, but I too. Hey, I want to, I want to read you something. All right. Yeah. I don't know if you're a Brene Brown fan. I am a huge Brene Brown okay. fan. Oh, yeah. So she writes this. So many of us have knowingly created or unknowingly allowed a long list of worthiness prerequisites. Yep. 
I'll be worthy if I lose 20 pounds. I'll be worthy if I can get pregnant. I'll be worthy if I stay sober. I'll be worthy if everyone thinks I'm a good parent. I'll be worthy when I can make a living selling my art. I'll be worthy if I can hold my marriage together. I'll be worthy when I make partner. I'll be worthy when my parents finally approve. I'll be worthy if he calls me back and asks me out. I'll be worthy when I can do it all and look like I'm not even trying. And here's it's truly at the heart of wholeheartedness. Worthy now, not if, not when. We are worthy of love and belonging now, right this minute, as is. It's not a spouse. It's not a life situation. It's not a lifted truck. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> um, it's in this moment, who you are, good, bad, strength, weakness, God values you. Yeah. And I think that going off of that, that's one of the things that's bonded me so closely with Chris is that he sees the real me and holds me accountable for being the real me and has helped me to even still work through some of my own challenges. And I would hope that I do the same for him. Oh, but, she challenges me every day. <laughs> but, um, you know, being in a relationship with him, we're different from what we typically would date, but what helps us to work is those things that were perhaps absent from our first relationship, like the communication, the openness with finances, the discussing what our boundaries are as it relates to like what constitutes cheating. You have to talk about those kinds of things because there's a, sometimes there's taboo subjects and people don't talk about like, pornography and that it's doesn't have any place in a relationship and you know why like what that actually equates right. to you just make assumptions especially in the church there's things we just don't talk about because it's not very christian of us but if you don't talk about them people make assumptions about whether they are or aren't okay so we have conversations about the hard stuff and it is hard work harder than anything i've ever done before to have an opest open and honest relationship with each other to where we go into this eyes wide open. And and I'm so, very honest too. Yeah. Like I, I pulled the curtain back on all the finances on what we make, what we spend, um, just stuff that a lot of people are just like, I ain't sharing that information. Even when they're married, they don't share that information. That thing's kind of weird, you know? Right. Yeah. Jonathan, you've been kind of paying attention to all of this. What, what is it as you as you see this situation playing out, and um, what kind of challenge would you make to people who are walking down a difficult season like this? Um, well, I think just what you said, just having that, having the the open communication. Like, I mean, I, I feel like there's a lot of uh, a lot of relational stuff that is just not open communication. Like, right. my, my wife worked at a bank for a while, and 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 she was always just like, man, a lot of these people. Like they're, they're, they're as, as married couples, like they're, they have two separate worlds when it comes to finances right. and, and like separate bank accounts that the other one doesn't have access to and, and all this. And, but that's just, that's their, that's their normal. That's just the way they've agreed upon doing it. And, and I don't know, I guess, I guess that could be okay, but I could also say there's definitely a big old barrier in your relationship. Where you you haven't really come together, um, in in that sense. So I, I think just having conversation, having like my wife and I went, um, we we just uh, we were talking about the um, 
the Taken documentary that we just did a podcast with Monica about. And we, we just went on a walk and we were just talking about it the whole time and um, really getting her thoughts on it, getting my thoughts on it, kind of pulling everything to the surface. And, mm. uh, and, and I just think that's healthy. Like you just know where the other person is. Um, and, and I don't like, did you guys find that you had those conversations in your first marriage or did you, I tried to, but my ex-wife, she was very, she didn't want to hear it. She was, right. you know, she didn't want to hear it. Like whatever, Chris, whatever. We don't want to talk about it. Not right now, Chris, whatever, you know? Yeah. And I think the thing too is like, you have to, everybody has to remember this is that when you're in a relationship with somebody, marriage or dating or whatever, especially marriage, you guys, it's a team and the team, like any team, the team is the goal is to win, win the game. Right. And if it, not everyone's doing their part, not everyone's helping out. If, if one guy is out there doing, I don't know, flower daisies running around in the field, not catching the fly balls, <laughs> you're going to lose. Right. <laughs> you know? One of the things we were talking about actually in, in our podcast recently is about also how building a family is like a business where you have to have conversations around the financial operations and around the different transactions and you know, you don't go out to start a brand new business and be like, you know what? In two years, I want to be bankrupt. That is going to be my sign of success. You go out there with these hopes and dreams and then you build a plan and then you execute the plan. And that might seem like hyper logical. I mean, we absolutely are in love, but we have a, there is a logical component of it of we're going to, we're going to have conversations about the things that can be hangups because we don't want to end up becoming a statistic and we want to set ourselves up for success, especially as we're blending our families and bringing three children together who have already been through things that have been hard. I mean, Chris's boys were really young when he went through the divorce. My son was 10 and he remembers what that fiber was like to tear apart. Sure. So we yeah. definitely, we want to go into this with having the conversations, um, you know, just to kind of funny side note on our third date, Chris opened up his, um, credit karma app and showed me his credit <laughs> score and he was super proud of it and it might have been something that he felt like he was bragging about but for me coming through financial ruin and financial um i don't want to call it abuse but deception and betrayal having somebody be that open with me from the get-go was like oh he really he's putting all of his cards out on the table and he's been like that Every single day since. Well, thank you. Thank you. I can see how that makes total sense, but for a third date, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't buy her. It was, car. Like, it was on my the topic wife, of okay. Of so we got, my yeah. wife wouldn't have married me if I showed her my credit score. So let me let me let me maybe put a cap on this. All right, because we got different marriage. I mean, I Jonathan's twenty one. I got thirty three years of marriage, yeah. and to my best friend in the world. Uh, and sometimes you you know that you can kind of feel like bragging, especially in San Diego. It's like the record, you know, right. thirty three <laughs> years. Listen, there is no the the only way we make it through any of this, whether it's first marriage, second marriage, raising kids, work situation, is you need somebody to fill in the gaps. Yeah, and God can fill in the gaps for the weaknesses that we have, the mistakes that we make. I mean, you are starting a brand new union with mm -hmm. two people who are still better suited, better prepared, but still have your own weaknesses. Yep. The only way it'll ever work or work with your kids is that God fills in the gap. And I think there's a time when you feel like, well, yeah, my 10-year-old, he remembers that. You know what? God has this way of taking the, the, the hurts and the pains 
of even them right. and using it for good. So that's what our prayer will be for you guys. Hey, thanks for coming in today, guys. Thanks well, so much. Thank for you so much for having us. All right. What's your podcast called? It is the Chris and Christine Show. How is and Chris, that's Chris spelled? and Christine <laughs> with K's? With K's. With K's. Yes. Very, if you guys want to hear more of these very guys, very cute. Very cute. They have. A, how often do you guys post episodes? Every single week. Yep. So usually uh, all the weekends, and so it's up by Monday morning. Yep. All right. You can okay. find us Sounds at ChrisandChristineShow.com or K Two Show San Diego across our social media accounts. Nice. Sounds well, thanks good. for being here. All right, thanks for guys. Thanks a bunch. Remember this week that life is too short to wake up in the morning with regret. So love the people who treat you right. Forget about the ones who don't and believe that everything happens for a reason. If you get a chance, take it. If it changes your life, let it. Nobody said that it would be easy. They just promised it would be worth it. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Chris. And I'm Christine. And until next week... Keep moving forward.